Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP dual credit biology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, and this is officially episode 11, week 11 of the 2019-2020 school year. In this week's podcast, we will recap Halloween week, the week of October 28th through November 1st in AP Dual Credit Biology, and look forward to the coming week as well. Spoilers, quiz now on Tuesday, that's right, not Monday, but on Tuesday of this week, over metabolism and enzymes. In our second segment, I'll go through a quick rundown of biology in the news, highlighting the biggest headlines making waves in the biology world today. And in our final segment, we will revisit Mr. V's mailbag and answer some more questions from listeners in a segment I call Mr. V Answers Your Questions, or at least tries to answer your question. Now, before we begin, we need to hear from our sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs to Pay the Bills. This episode is brought to you by the good molecules at Enzymes R Us. Tired of waiting for reactions that never occur? Are there major barriers that you just can't seem to climb or get over? Are you just unable to produce those products that just might allow you to be successful in AP Bio and in life? If so, visit us at Enzymes R Us, where we have over thousands of specific enzymes ready to knock down that barrier and unlock your potential to accomplish any catabolic or anabolic dream. So next time, don't just wait around for the reaction. Make it happen from Enzymes from Enzymes R Us. And we're back. So let's go ahead and jump into our time machine and go back, way back to Monday. We started our Monday by revisiting our data from the previous week's carrot and osmosis investigation. We had a quick discussion about the graph that students were able to create and confirmed that the molarity of the baby carrots was between 0.15 and 0.2 molar sucrose because that's where our line of best fit intersected with the x-axis of 0% change in mass meaning that the carrot and solution at that point were isotonic, equal solute inside the carrot to equal solute in the solution, and hence molarity. Students completed a CER, Claim Evidence Reasoning Summary, and turned in their data sheet and graph into the appropriate period tray. Next, students prepared for the FRQ over cells and cell transport. Students had 18 minutes to work on their free response consisting of one long-form question and one short answer question. And this brought us to an end of our Monday. Moving on to Tuesday, which was exam day. Students had the entire period to complete the cell multiple choice exam covering chapters 6 and 7. And this was our Tuesday. On to Wednesday, where we started class by having a quick discussion about the Osmosis Dilemma lab report to ensure everyone was on the right track to turn in the lab report on Friday. Next, we started our journey into our next unit of Metabolism and Enzymes, Chapter 8. Here's a recap of our major highlights of our lecture and notes. Now, when it comes to this chapter, our big underlying theme is energy and how life is able to handle and use that energy, which leads us to the first law of thermodynamics, which states that energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only transferred or transformed. 
Now, we know that food chains and food webs show how energy is transferred between organisms on this planet with all that energy originating from our nearest star, our sun, but we're going to focus on the energy transformations that occur at the cellular level. So that brings us to metabolism. The totality of all chemical processes, all chemical reactions happening within the cell, within a living organism. Now, metabolism is composed of two parts, catabolism and anabolism. Now, let's first focus on catabolism. Now, these are reactions that break down, that digest big, complex molecules into smaller, simpler molecules. Now, some of you might be saying, hey, this sounds familiar, where it should be, because these reactions are also hydrolysis reactions. So catabolism and hydrolysis have a close association with each other, where they both digest big, complex molecules into simpler, smaller molecules. Now, the other part of metabolism is anabolism. These are reactions that synthesize or that build big, complex molecules from simpler ones. Now, this has a close association with the other reaction we've talked about, dehydration reactions. Both of these, once again, will build bigger molecules from smaller ones. So remember, catabolism plus anabolism equals metabolism. Now, metabolic reactions will deal with energy transformations. Some of these reactions will consume energy, others will release energy, which brings us to two new terms we learned, exergonic and endergonic reactions. Now, exergonic reactions are those reactions that release energy. So these are catabolic reactions, hydrolysis reactions that will release energy when they digest molecules. And endergonic reactions are those metabolic reactions that consume energy. These are reactions that are anabolic, that build bigger, more complex molecules. So to recap, catabolic hydrolysis and exergonic reactions all deal with digestion, breaking down big complex molecules into simpler ones and releasing energy, where endergonic dehydration synthesis and anabolic reactions all deal with building or synthesizing big molecules from simpler ones and consuming energy. And with that, our Wednesday came to an end. So let's move on to Thursday, Halloween Day, where we started class by viewing something pretty spooky, our class exam data and grades for the cell exam. And let's just say that this exam ended up being a GPA killer for some, a more challenging exam than previous ones with class averages ranging from 71 to about 77 across all periods. And while it was a challenging exam, one period did walk away as winners of the best average on the cell exam. And that period is six period. So congrats, six period. You're back on top of the mountain. Let's see if we could stay on top after this next unit. Now, this next tidbit also shows how challenging the exam ended up being with no one across all periods scoring a perfect score. Now, I do want to remind students who did not earn a 68 with the curve that I do recommend the exam retake. The process starts Monday of this week with the retake exam scheduled for Thursday morning or Thursday after school. Make sure to check at Moto for the flyer that describes the process needed to qualify for the exam retake. 
After the exam data and grades, we continued our journey into metabolism and enzymes with our lecture and notes, now focused on enzymes, our biological catalysts. Here are some major highlights of our lecture and notes. Now, we know that there are thousands of chemical reactions taking place every second in our body, and at the heart of every single one of those reactions, enzymes, lowering the activation energy, the E of A, making reactions possible and faster. Even if the reaction is a downhill reaction, an exergonic reaction, usually they still have stable bonds and they have a high energy barrier or activation energy. Enzymes come in and knock that activation energy barrier down to a little speed bump, once again allowing those reactions to occur and occur a lot more rapidly. Now enzymes are also substrate specific, something that we'll talk a little bit more about a little bit later. Enzymes are also usually named after the substrate that they work on and usually end in ACE. For example, there are enzymes that work on lipids called lipases. There are some enzymes that work on proteins that we call proteases. There's an enzyme that breaks down lactose called lactase. So once again, usually ending in ACE and named after the substrate that they work on. Now we also looked at the different parts of an enzyme reaction where we have the substrate, what the enzyme works on, the enzyme itself with its active site where the substrate fits into kind of little pocket or groove that the substrate binds to the enzyme. And when it does, it forms that enzyme substrate complex, a very temporary association that only lasts milliseconds and the products, the end result of our reaction. Now, earlier, we talked about how enzymes are substrate-specific, and the way a substrate and an enzyme's active site interact with each other is in a lock and key model. That is our classic model of their interaction, where enzymes, once again, are very specific when it comes to the substrate that it's going to work on. Now, this specificity all comes down to the three-dimensional shape of that enzyme. That final conformational shape determines what substrate it's going to work on. The active site itself, once again, is called the catalytic center. That's where the magic happens. That's where a bond will be broken or a bond will be formed to end up forming our products. Now, what we also need to remember is that enzymes do not get changed by the reaction, nor do they get used up. Enzymes can be used over and over and over again. However, that doesn't mean they last forever because there are molecules and environments that can affect that enzyme's activity, how well it's going to work, how well it's going to function. Now, let's first focus on some conditions that can increase enzyme activity, like enzyme concentration. You increase the enzyme concentration, and you are going to increase that rate of reaction. You're going to increase that activity until eventually the reaction rate will plateau or level off because the substrate eventually runs out. The substrate will become that limiting factor. Another condition that could increase the enzyme's activity is substrate concentration. Increase the substrate concentration and the reaction rate also increases, but also eventually plateaus and levels off, this time because the enzyme becomes saturated. Now, there are also some molecules that can bind to enzymes that could increase their activity, like coenzymes. Coenzymes are organic non-protein helpers, activators that bind to the enzyme and keep them on, even help facilitate the substrate into that active site. Examples of coenzymes, vitamins. Yes, hit those Flintstone chewables and increase your metabolism or get a more efficient metabolism with the help of these coenzymes. Another molecule that can bind and increase 
these enzyme activity cofactors. These are inorganic helpers like zinc, iron, potassium that also act as activators, helping turn on those enzymes, proteins, and help once again facilitate the binding of that substrate into the active site. Now, let's focus on some environments or conditions that can decrease the activity of an enzyme like pH and temperature. When it comes to enzymes, which are proteins, they all have a range of pH and temperature where they maintain their three-dimensional shape and maintain their optimal performance. Get it out of this range and they become denatured. They unravel, they lose their shape, and that substrate can no longer fit into that active site like a key in a lock. It decreases the activity, pretty much makes the enzyme non-functional. Another condition or environment that can decrease the activity of an enzyme is salinity, salt concentration. A lot of enzymes cannot tolerate high salt concentration in their environment. It can also mess up its secondary and tertiary structures, you know, especially mess up with their charges, those amino acids on some of those charges, hydrogen bonding, ionic bonding, causing it once again to unravel and not have that substrate fit into that active site like a key in a lock. Now, there are also some molecules that can bind to the enzyme that can decrease its activity like inhibitors, competitive and non-competitive inhibitors. First, let's focus on competitive inhibitors. These are molecules that will bind to the active site of the enzyme. They compete with the substrate to the active site. And if they do occupy that active site, they block the substrate from getting to that active site and from being worked on. So this can definitely decrease the activity of the enzyme. Another molecule that can bind to the enzyme is a non-competitive inhibitor, or also called the allosteric inhibitor. Now, these do not bind to the active site. They bind somewhere else on the enzyme. It's usually a place called the allosteric site. Now, when it does bind to this site, it changes the shape of the enzyme. Hence, it changes the shape of the active site, and it no longer allows that substrate to bind into that active site. It no longer has that key in a lock fit, pretty much making it non-functional functional, decreasing the activity of the enzyme. Now, when it comes to allosteric inhibitors, a lot of these molecules are made by our own cells because they end up working as part of our allosteric regulation system, where they pretty much act as on-off switches for our enzymes, which help us control our enzymes, only having them on when they need to be on. So these were just some of the highlights in our notes in our lecture on Thursday. Now, after our notes, we had a little time to start on an enzyme coloring sketch notes, a new way to rewrite notes, kind of something I hope takes off for some of you when it comes to studying for exams and quizzes for this class. And with that, our Thursday came to a close. Finally, Friday arrives, where we started with a quick recap of enzymes and then moved on to our enzyme simulation investigation. Oh, by the way, osmosis lab reports were turned in to the appropriate period tray box at the beginning of class. Now, in our enzyme simulation, students played the role of an enzyme called toothpickase, where they performed a catabolic reaction on toothpicks. In our first trial, we ran our baseline, in other words, under perfect normal conditions. Under these conditions, students were able to work on an average of about 45 to 60 substrates in 50 seconds. 
For our second trial, though, we changed the environment where we denatured the enzyme's active site with a change in temperature. Now, to accomplish this, we taped thumbs down to the inside of their palm and also had students insert their hands in a bag of ice for one minute before being able to catabolize the toothpicks. I personally call this trial Mr. V's Revenge. For all those times I've had to repeat the same instructions over and over again or open Open the door during my agenda for students who are late. I quite enjoyed watching students endure this pain for the further advancement of knowledge. <laughs> and with this, we concluded the week that was in AP Dole Credit Biology. And now for our next segment, Biology in the News, where we highlight the biggest headlines making waves in the biology world today. Our first headline, scientists say they have found a place on Earth where no life can thrive. No, not your bedroom, but the Dalal Geothermal Springs in Ethiopia Danakil Depression. This hellish, salty, acidic water world is generally considered the hottest, most inhabitable place on the planet. Not even extremophiles can find this place livable. I guess they'll have to settle for living in that second hellish environment, your socks. Another headline? Think crows are scary? Well, the latest research shows they just might be scary smart. While they might get a bad rap being associated with creepiness, after all, we do call a group of them a murder, the research shows the quality of how smart they are. The evidence? Crows can memorize human faces, have funerals for their dead, and even create and use tools to problem solve. Some studies even show that crows have been seen logging into masteringbiology.com and accessing the study area to improve their AP dual credit exam scores. Okay, I made that last one up, but it seems to me that these crows might just give some of you a run for your money on an IQ test. And that is just some of the headlines in the biology world making waves today. And now to our final segment, Mr. V's Mailbag. You've got mail. Where I answer listeners' questions. And this week we have two Halloween-themed questions. First question is from a listener, username, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell 2019. This person asks, Mr. V, with this being Halloween, what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Well, that's a timely good question. And while Mr. V doesn't dig the horror genre, I will list my top five movies that almost made me my pants. Now, coming in at number five and four is American Werewolf in London and Halloween. Both of them are the original classics that came out in the late 1980s or mid-1980s. I actually saw these when I was only about maybe 9 or 10. My dad took all the boys in the family to go see a double feature, both of these movies back to back. And these movies just, they freaked me out. I don't even remember watching most of it because I pretty much had my jacket covering my eyes most of the time. I do remember that in American Werewolf in London, that transformation scene when he first transforms into a 
where werewolf is one of the most graphic and just disturbing scenes uh i mean i just recently saw that on tv and i feel like it still holds up as being a very horrifying experience just watching him go through that transformation Coming in at number three, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. I mean, it's pretty freaky when you have a movie that focuses on nightmares and something that can get you in your nightmares. Coming in at number two, The Blair Witch Project. Now, this is something I saw when I was in college at UT, and it was one of those found, it was one of the first found footage kind of movies that for a while people thought that it was actually true. And I remember I saw this, and that night that I saw it with some friends, I went home by myself. I was living alone at that time, and I just remember I couldn't fall asleep. I pretty much stayed awake all night. Uh, for entire week or two, I was just disturbed with that movie and couldn't get a lot of sleep at all. And coming in at number one, the scariest movie I've ever seen has to be The Exorcist. Yes, that movie just freaks me out. I mean, being Catholic, you know, we believe in Satan and demon possession. And that movie, which I saw when I was like maybe 10 or 11, freaked me out. I couldn't sleep for a while by myself. I mean, I would sleep with my brothers and with my parents afterwards just because, you know, that movie still today when I see it freaks me out. It definitely still gives me the chills. Okay, well with that, let's go to a second question from a listener username, I heart apoptosis lysosomes rule. This person asks, what is your favorite and least favorite Halloween candy? Another great theme Halloween question. Well, my favorite, I would have to go with Kit Kats or just dark chocolate covered almonds. I love Kit Kats because I love that wafer crunch with chocolate when it comes to those Kit Kats. And I love dark chocolate healthier than milk chocolate and mix it with an almond and you got some yummy deliciousness. Now, my least favorite probably has to be Tootsie Rolls and candy corn. How are these still around? I have no idea. I mean, I've never met a person who says, yeah, I'll have some Tootsie Rolls or hey, yeah, give me some candy corn. These are things that I still don't know why they're a thing. Well, that concludes this week's Mr. V's Mailbag. Remember, if you would like to submit a question for Mr. V's Mailbag, send your question via email to ovelas at nisd.net or Edmodo message me your question. Well, folks, that brings us to an end of episode 11, week 11 of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive and Sound Bible for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and directed by Velasquez Productions. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. A couple of reminders for the week. Remember, quiz on Tuesday over metabolism and enzymes. Exam retake is on Thursday. And also, don't forget to read your online book throughout the week. Well, this is your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, signing off and reminding you to please, please, for your professor's sake, stop wearing Crocs with socks. That shouldn't be a thing. At the next motel, found ourselves in the woodwork. Getting shaved.